1: Rodolfo País grew up in a successful Guatemalan family business and translated those experiences into a career in the family office space as a consultant and the CEO of Fidelia's family office. On this episode of the Family Business Voice, Rodolfo and I discuss how a family office can help families with everything from philanthropy to next generation engagement and what his iceberg model reveals about the impact of the pandemic on family offices. Enjoy this episode with Rodolfo. So, welcome, Rodolfo, to the Family Business Voice. It's lovely to have you today.
0: It's quite a pleasure to be here, and thank you.
1: Wonderful, and and we're going to be talking today about uh, a subject that I know you're extremely passionate about, family offices, and we're looking forward to diving into that, but I think first of all, let's give our listeners a bit of a background here, Rodolfo, on who you are and how your own family legacy background has actually informed your career in this particular field.
0: It took almost a good 30 years to figure it out, but it feels almost like this was the path that was laid out. My family was was a very interesting case study. i'm a third generation in a business family from uh, from Guatemala, and my family was unusual and it was interesting, mostly in very good ways. Family was brought up on ideals of very hard work, on education, on giving back to the community, on caring for its people and being responsible for its space, on being fully and completely ethical and and I'm learning as much as possible. And I saw our first and second generation do really great work. And my family was not just hardworking, but also lucky in some ways, because they were blessed to bump into Ivan Lansberg at a trade show where he was teaching a conference on an entirely unrelated subject of, of sibling dynamics and family businesses, and they were buying things for the supermarket which was our core business and so my family became ivan's client and started learning about systems thinking and and, and family uh, governance in 1981 i think so we were one of the first to really start learning about this from one of the first people in the field who became of course one of the very best and you know, if you have that kind of a head start, it's going to give you an advantage. And so I was nine at that point. I grew up with my parents in one year, Ivani, the other. And then we started working with Catherine Grady. And I did my MBA at Thunderbird uh, under the teachings and on, on the protective wing of Ernesto Boza. And so I really have been very blessed to count on some of the nicest and most expert people in the field teaching me about this. And eventually, since I always loved business, my family always made it a, a point to emphasize that one of the wonderful things about business is it's not a zero-sum game. If you're creative and if you work at it, you can find a way where everybody benefits. Hmm. So I always wanted to be in business. But I realized eventually that I'm not a manager type. Um, I have an entrepreneurial spirit, but I do my best work learning, problem-solving, and teaching And I eventually ended up gravitating to consulting. But then people kept asking me, you know, what has your family learned about this? What has your family learned about that? Where do I find this kind of lawyer, this kind of accountant, this kind of therapist, this kind of resource? And eventually we just started helping other families with multiple needs. So I grew up rather than just trying to pay forward to other families, a lot of the benefits and the not just the problem-solving, but especially the problem-preventing that Ivan gave mine. I think 95% of the problems families have in business could be completely prevented, but just nobody teaches you the art and science of family enterprise in college or anywhere else, really. It's Hmm. it's a little too new in the world. So I kind of came to this all very organically.
1: It's interesting that you should talk about... I know that this has always been part of your vision is, is to have this role of um, prevention as opposed to only being called in when the crisis has hit, which I do think is a very, it's of course a much more interesting moment to start working with any family. Talk to us a little bit about how the family office construct sort of fits into that conversation. A,
0: I think that's a fascinating question because B, I think it's a much broader question than what it seems like. My own family's family office started around 1984, ages ago. But Ivan defined for us originally, and I've I've kept that definition permanently because I think it's the original core definition of a family office, is the family office is the executive entity for the family. So in business, you usually start with execution. You start with managers and employees and people who are doing the work of the business. And then as the business grows, you need to add governance. In the family, the progression is the opposite. You start with governance because mom and dad make all the decisions. We know the rules of the game. They are whatever they have been defined. But as the family grows and as the family acquires more obligations, for example, Mm. more business obligations, Mm. then who does the work of the family? Is there somebody who can pay the bills, which is not a very sophisticated task, so that the family can focus on running the business. That's family office work. Where the family office truly is defined in in our view is the family office is that entity which either provides or sources from out there any and all services that are beneficial to the family's long-term well-being, meaning whatever the family needs done and is willing and happy to pay for. We don't see and, and we we have been on a I think 10 year crusade against the concept of a family mm-hmm. office being primarily wealth driven, wealth-oriented, or or more importantly, against the family office being something that comes into existence when the family is thinking about managing an investment or managing a legacy. So what's the hardest thing,
1: you know, culturally for a family, you know, that's just used to say working together and all of these things have sort of been done informally. What is the hardest part of implementing something more of a structured approach to what you're explaining? Where are the resistance points and how can they be overcome?
0: I think you've already mentioned one of them, um, but I think there are essentially only two. There is the issue of ignorance. They don't know that this is a thing, that this exists. I've had families tell me, gosh, I can't wait until we're big enough to have a family office. I need help. Um, you are, you have 150 employees, you have two operating businesses, just dedicate one person to doing the stuff for the family, but people think that they need to grow into it. So simple ignorance, nobody taught us this. It's not out there. It's not in college. We're all running businesses that have trained and highly capable people in operations, finance, logistics, marketing, whatever, but nobody knows governance. So they don't know. What they don't know, and because they don't know, they don't do it. It hasn't occurred to them, and nobody mentioned it. The second issue is the one of prevention or, or future thinking. When in our daily life, we're struggling with 10, 15, 20, 50 different things, it's hard to go, you know, I really should do something now that's going to be fantastic and priceless in 10 or 20 years. That is the, the old Chinese saying at play, the best time to plant the tree was 20 years ago, and the second best mm-hmm. time is today. So I don't find really any resistance to overcome. I don't think we've really seen obstacles. Um, but it doesn't get done because people haven't thought about it. Nobody's ever mentioned it to them. And it's just one more thing to do. And right now they're busy dealing with other fires to put out. But
1: let's just maybe define it a little bit more closely, because, of course, that can include anything from like, you know, healthcare to education. But if you had to pinpoint, say, what should be, the priority for a well-oiled family office in providing the foundation for a family to be capable of moving their business, you know, forward into the future like what is it that you would focus on the three
0: foundational stones on which this building is constructed are back office services, family unity and education mm. so families Have strong cultural divergence among generations these days. Um, My children are more different from me than I was from my parents. And that's, I think, nearly universal. And people are more dispersed, and people tend to do more communicating online. And it's harder for a family these days to devote time to spending every weekend at the lake or having dinner every Sunday or the rituals that keep families together because unity and common ground is forged over time and memories and spaces together. That's it. There's no, there's no mm-hmm. secret sauce to it. You've got to put in the time to get that result. And so, one of the key things that a family office can and should do for nearly every family is make it easier to be together. Mm. So, connectivity is one. Education is the second. People tend to think of education as just academic, but when you're 65, 70, and you've built a great and wonderful collection of businesses, you need to realize whether or not you are becoming more risk averse with age, whether or not what you are providing to the family businesses or the family group in terms of leadership is what they need right now. What's the best way you can contribute? Are you allowing your children and your other executives to really drive the businesses forward as much as you can? What should your role be right now? Or should you still be in charge? Should you become chairman of the board? Should you become an ambassador? Even if you really do feel that you still want to be in charge and running the show, are you giving your children their best potential path forward available within or outside the business? Mm. So we all have something to learn at every stage in our life. Often that knowledge is available from peers, from other resources. Sometimes it should be organized and structured. And the family office should really be the place where you can arrange that. And they should facilitate that. And it should be where we destigmatize learning and change. Because often if you suggest to a patriarch or matriarch that they should change something, it is interpreted as a criticism that they're doing something wrong. Well, no, you've done everything right, but what got you here won't get you there. And what's worked for the past 10 years is likely a little different from what will work for the next 10 years. Mm. In the end, education is the second. And the third is reducing friction for the family by doing things for the family that make their lives easier. Um, mm. Back office services, accounting, purchasing, negotiating outside resources, and so on.
1: So tell us, uh, Rodolfo, what about the public facing role of the family office, right? Like, so we've now talked a lot about how the family office, I guess, benefits the family. And a lot of these things are things that are intangibles. They're long term benefits that come from running a family office effectively. And based on your description here, uh, if a family office is actually efficient, I probably forget that it exists because everything works so well, right? Does a family office need to have like a public side to it that is accessible to the outside world. Does that add value for the family, for the business? You know, how do you evaluate that inside the reputation game? And maybe within also the transparency aspect that is now expected of family businesses, right? Like to say, we want more transparency, like how does the family office play into that argument?
0: That's a brilliant point, because it does happen. Now, the implementation or the The details are different from every family. But there is a public-facing side, um, as you mentioned. And I'll give you a couple examples. One is philanthropy. If a family has been successful, every family member is going to be hit with multiple requests frequently, can you donate to this? Can you help here? And having all of that be coordinated through the family office allows the family to channel its resources as desired, because an individual certainly can still make donations to whatever they, they wish. But if those requests come into mostly the family office, then it's great because then the family office can check with the family who wants to contribute. Is this a group effort? Is this a collection of individuals? Um, is this one of our top priorities? Um, it really makes life easier. So yeah, the family office can do that. The family office also often within the context of back office services, provides consolidated reporting for members of the family on what they have, what they're doing, what the family businesses are doing. But it can also provide wonderful resources for informing the community and providing that transparency of being the key communication point for the family
1: group. I think this also brings us to the very unique approach and it's even part of the the logo of the company, which is the iceberg model. And I want you to explain to us what the iceberg model is, what it does, and how our listeners can use it.
0: Sure. Um, We've found that the key to most of this is communication. People assume that families are hard. And they assume that conflict resolution is hard. And one of the most common problems in families is they, in order to try to maintain harmony they simply avoid conflict and so Mm. don't disagree just don't have any disagreements and they fail to realize that it's different to have conflict as in disagreement from having fight and so we we often go back to the academics a little bit and say you know task conflict is disagreeing on what we want to do process conflict is disagreeing on how we want to do it personal conflict is i hate your guts And the only one that's destructive is the third. The other two are good for you. So because people feel that this is hard, we used the iceberg as a model because it's a cliche, because it's so well known, because it's easy to understand. And we divided the iceberg into six layers, bottom to top. Originally, back in 2010 or so, we were using this as a way to design family offices. Later on, we really realized that Because the family office could potentially provide anything the family wants, what a family office could potentially do is the mirror image, the other side of the coin, to what a family might want. And so it's become our fundamental tool for analyzing the needs of a family. Hmm. So what do we know about an iceberg? We all know that 90% of the mass is underwater and not visible. Okay. Everything under the water is everything within the family system. That's Mm -hmm. us. The only one of the six layers is above the water. That is what we call wealth. That absolutely includes non-financial wealth. That includes our money, our business, our reputation, the love we have for each other, the shared experiences we have. But that wealth, if it's not supported by the other five layers of ice that are under the water, it sinks. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, it's important. Yes, we need to devote time to it, but it's not the most important thing at all. Wealth is a consequence. Wealth Mm -hmm. is not a driver. And it also provides some of the lessons we keep teaching to families. Don't worry about preserving your wealth. Worry about preserving your family legacy, your character. Um, Mm -hmm. Teach your children how to live well and your legacy will be fine and your wealth will be fine. If you don't raise your children well, there's not a trust structure or blind fund or anything that'll save you. So your top layer is what? Well. Now, go to the other extreme. What would you say about the deepest layer of ice? Well, it's darker down there. There's a lot more pressure. It's colder. The currents are stronger. It's a lot harder to work down there. But the ice that's all the way at the bottom is the ice that's pushing up on all of the rest of the iceberg. That's the most important advice of all. So yes, it's harder to work on those issues, but do it anyway. In fact, do that first. And that's the family layer. keeping the family connected together. That's the most important layer of all. So that's the bottom layer. And then you go from the bottom to the top. If you have a well-oiled well-functioning family, your next layer is education because now everybody needs to know about families and families in business. They need to get rid of the myths of family businesses being highly mortal and being conflictive. They need to understand reality and they need education on their own role and their own process. So education in all of its forms is layer two. Hmm. Layer three is governance. If you have a family that functions well together and they know what they should be doing, now what we really need is the rules of the game. We need agreements. So those three are the core of defining the family system and its existence and its function. Family, education, governance. But once you have those three, nothing is done. What are we doing? What do we need? How do we apply this? So the other three are people, businesses, and wealth. And in each of those three, you're asking, okay, what are we as a family system and potentially we as a family office providing to our people? What do we expect of them? What are we providing to our businesses? What do we expect of them? Many of the shared decisions like dividend policies and uh, voting rights and other things are best made within the context of the family guided by the family office. So it's the family office itself ends up taking a governance role. But what are we giving and expecting from our people, our businesses, and our wealth then really leads you to design what our family office looks like. Those are the six layers, and the only key is to really lean into what everybody knows about the iceberg as a cliche, because it's a cliche, and working through them from bottom to top. What do we know? What do we need here? And then once you've done that, then priorities. So I think a
1: very useful framework that you've provided here for us, how to approach this. It's always the hardest thing, isn't it, to approach a kind of quite a complex system that is the, you know, the family enterprise, the family wealth, all of these sort of like interdependent layers. So a great framework here that you're providing with the iceberg. Um, analogy, maybe just as a sort of like a last question and to contextualize, I do think that it's very rare that the whole human race agrees on what should be uh, included in history books coming up in the future. But I think we can all agree that the last year qualifies pretty much as as being a unanimous uh, chapter here uh, to be included in the, in the history books of the future. And so when this kind of stress occurs, when such a large symmetrical shock um, grabs the whole world, basically, by storm, as we've seen, and I do actually quite find it from a purely anthropological point of view, it's a fascinating moment in time, isn't mm-hmm. it, that we get to consciously witness this and that we have so much information of how all these different cultures and all these different people and businesses have dealt with this. With regards, in reference to your iceberg here, uh, Rodolfo, what part of the iceberg has this challenged the most, in your view, with the families that you've seen? You know, how do we stabilize after this kind of a shock?
0: That's a really, really interesting question. During a time of stress, whether that stress is somebody's young adulthood or whether the time of stress is a global pandemic, a family office can often raise little red flags of warning signs to individual members of the family. Hey, have you noticed that your spending's going up? Have you noticed that your reserves are limited? Have you noticed that you have a lot of money invested in real estate, which isn't liquid? And if there's a problem, you know, even though you're perfectly financially healthy today, you're not very um stress resistant. So the family office can and should, as much as possible, provide that level of guidance and mentoring at all times to all family members on how to be safer and healthier and more resilient against stress. And it, it occurred to me that that as an important topic, because that's been a critical role of certain family offices during the pandemic, but it's also something that should be universal. Our family offices should be questioning us because they can do so privately, confidentially in a non-threatening way. If I go to my daughter and question her spending, that's one thing. If the family office goes to my daughter and goes, hey, I might suggest a change here or looking out five years, uh, Mm -hmm. can we talk about your plan? That's really valuable. Going back to where you said, which layer has been most challenged? I think realistically, the single greatest challenge has been in business because what the family does for its businesses and what the family expects from its businesses and caring for its businesses has been very, very difficult for everybody. Is the shop open? Is it not open? How does our business adapt to lockdowns or quarantine? Do we keep quiet on hot button political issues? Do we take a stand? And so having the family office provide or organize a forum for those conversations among the family has been extraordinarily valuable.
1: Rodolfo Pais, thank you very much for joining us today on The Family Business
0: Voice. It's always delightful talking to you. It's also always interesting getting into those questions I'd never thought of. (laughs) That's what we're here for.
1: Thank you for listening to the Family Business Voice. Subscribe to our channels now on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher or Spotify to be notified of our weekly episodes.